The opinions and viewpoints expressed in .NET Rocks are not necessarily those of its sponsors or of Microsoft Corporation, its partners, or employees. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, which is solely responsible for its content. Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter. Hey, Rockheads, bang out that I quit email before you change your mind and listen up. It's time for another stellar episode of .NET Rocks, the internet audio talk show for .NET developers with Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. This is Lawrence Ryan announcing show number 308 with guest Aaron Sconnard, recorded live Tuesday, January 15th, 2008. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter, and now offering SharePoint 2007 video training with Sahil Malik on DVD, DNR TV style. Order your copy now at www.franklins.net. Support is also provided by Telerik, providing the best in Windows forms and ASP.NET controls with first-class customer service. Online at www.telerik.com. And now... The man who's neither all biz nor all talk, Carl Franklin. Thank you very much. Welcome back to .NET Rocks. This is our Thursday show. Carl Franklin here from the SICK Developer Department in New London, Connecticut. <coughs> That's me coughing. Oh, dude, you've been struggling for the past couple of days. Yeah, and Richard decides to record four shows on the day where I'm really sick. <laughs> what a guy. Because I'm a, your buddy. What a guy. What can I tell you? Well, anyway, I'm just, this is me apologizing in advance for the laid back demeanor with which I conduct these, uh, these shows. The next four shows, probably. Uh, Richard, how you doing, man? I am well. I am not sick, but I'm gearing up for a trip to Lithuania. Really? Yeah. Uh, Steve Forte and I are doing some work there in uh, in Vilnius, so well, it's one of the reasons we're getting so many shows done is I'm going to be away all next week. Wow. Hey, you know, I don't usually say stuff like this right at the beginning of the show, but I got to call this out, and I don't mean to embarrass the guy who wrote me an email, and I'm not going to say his name, but every once in a while, somebody emails me with the uh, request to make a iPod slash Zune version of DNR TV. And I just want everybody to listen to me right now for one second, okay? It doesn't work. You cannot read the fonts. And it's not because they're too small, like a magnifying glass is going to help you. There is not enough resolution to let you see anything font-wise, even at the large font size we use. We've tried it. It looks like hell. You can't read anything. Get over it. It's Code not just going takes up to more work. space than that. You can't make it fit. It just doesn't fit. Right. So this, um, this person who, again, shall remain nameless because, you know, he's a decent guy, I'm sure. He wanted to uh, get this on his Zoom so he could watch it while driving. 
Now, folks, listen to me carefully. <laughs> Don't watch video while you're driving. Okay? Don't do it. Oh, and man. Don't watch video that you have to squint to understand while you're driving. Even worse. That is coming from the bottom of my heart. Just turn it off and watch the video when you're at a safe stop. That's what we make .NET Rocks for, so you can listen to it. That's right. So, okay. I hope, right. I hope I did my duty for the day. So let's get into Better Know Framework. All right. So what do you got for me, sir? So today I want to talk about HTTP handlers. Oh, really? Yeah. An HTTP handler is uh, a class that you can write that implements IHTTP handler that you then register with a file extension in IIS, that assembly. Right. And it handles the request for that particular file extension. So what this is good for is any time that you have a, a custom file that you need to serve in a different way, any time that you have uh, that you want to pre-process the request and pass it on somewhere else, uh, it's this is really what it's for, though. It's really for um, processing the custom file extension to do something that you want. You know, maybe you want to dynamically generate a file on the fly. Even it could be XML, but it does not have to have the .xml file extension in order to be XML data. Right. Yeah. So the example you see is .chart, you know, something that's a chart, for example, or dot, oh, I don't know, you know, dot .music or something, whatever it is. You can create the, the file extension, associate that with IIS, and then write the code to serve the data however you want. So that's all I'm going to say about HTTP Handler. Next, we'll talk about HTTP modules, which are really for pre- and post-processing. But uh, there you go. That's Better Know Framework for today. System.web.ihttp handler. Cool. Hey, I got an email. Uh, and hey, it's sort of a Thursday email. There's a couple of things I want to call out on this email. It's uh, from Damian Powell. Now, da- I read one of Damian's email back in December. And, of course, when we read your email, we send you a mug. And, no, Damian, I'm not sending you another mug. <laughs> Uh, but his comment was, uh, hi, Carl and Richard. I received my DNR swag yesterday and just wanted to say thanks. I'm drinking coffee from it as I type. Awesome. Now, guys, listen to me. Do not type and drink coffee at the same time, okay? <laughs> because you're going to spill your coffee. That's right. <laughs> I also thought you might be amused by what happened to me when I heard my email read out on the show. Uh-oh. I was in my car driving to work as usual, but when I heard my words in a Canadian accent, I was kind of freaked out. Or should that be freaked out? Out. After Richard finished reading, I was a little starstruck, so much so that I missed my exit on the motorway and ended up being a half hour late for work. Uh-huh. Anyway, it was totally worth it. Thanks for the mug and thanks for the great show. Damien Powell. Now, hmm. I have a Canadian accent? A little bit. With N- certain words. You know that most Canadians complain I sound like an American. Well, here's the thing. To me, you know, we just have different pronunciations of different words. I say solder. You say solder. solder. You know. Uh, but then I pronounce it correctly. <laughs> <laughs> 
let's see, what else do we have? Uh, I say pasta in Java. You say pasta in Java. Nice. Okay. You know, that's just, all there is. Not really, but just very small differences. Very and small it's differences. Amazing and I think mine that, are suppressed because I do tend to travel so much I don't sound like anywhere anymore. But I mean, I, I'm not saying that New England is the center of the linguistic universe either. I have been accused of having an accent as well. Because, having, I right, mean, having that Northeastern accent. Yeah, this is what happens when people listen to you all over the world, right? You have an accent. Get used to it. Yeah. Uh, oh, and there's one last thing on this email from Damien, which is a quote right at the bottom, and I've forgotten this one. <laughs> I just got such a laugh out of it. It's from a fellow named Brian Kernigan, who is a Canadian, I might point out. Sea guy. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, one of the guys of the original book of C. And the quote is, debugging is twice as hard as writing the code in the first place. Therefore, if you write the code as cleverly as possible, you are, by definition, not smart enough to debug it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I remember that article that went around. It wasn't an article. It was a joke. It was a April Fool's thing. A Kernigan and Ritchie declare C was a hoax. Oh, really? Yeah, it was one of the... It could have been an Onion article, but, you know, it was really satire. But, you know, they, they did it just to completely confuse people, and, you know, they're sorry. It was a practical joke, and, you know... They they said they stopped when they got a clean compile on the following line, and it looks like a cartoon character swearing. It looks like a, a regular <laughs> expression, you know. Right. <laughs> I'd like to find that. If anybody has a copy of that, can you send it to me? Because that was funny. I saw it a long time ago. Definitely. And by the way, we do appreciate when we send you out a mug that you fire us a message to say you got it. Uh, we love to hear from you there. way. Okay, Richard, let's introduce Aaron Sconard. He is the co-founder of Pluralsight. The co-founder or a co-founder? Yeah, I guess a you, co-founder, one I, of four. I guess you have to be a co-founder by definition. Yes. Uh, plur, of Pluralsight, a premier Microsoft.net training provider. Aaron is the author of Pluralsight's Applied Web Services, Applied BizTalk Server 2006, and Applied WCF Courses delivered worldwide. Over the years, Aaron has written numerous articles and books on XML and web service technologies, he currently writes MSDN Magazine's Service Station column, along with his weblog, which carries the same name, Pluralsight.com slash Aaron. Welcome, Aaron. Thank you very much. It's good to be here. It's good to have you on the show. Yeah. Very good. Did you ever work for Microsoft? I did at one point for a very short period of time. I, uh, you know, I'd been doing the independent trainer thing for quite a while, and I thought, you know, I'd really like to get out there and do... Uh, you know, work on some big websites or something, get some, get some better experience under my belt in some of those areas. And, uh, so I left that for about, I think it was like four or five months until I realized how good I had it before. Oh. <laughs> and then I, I decided I just had to have that lifestyle back. So yeah. I, uh, I found a lifestyle that I really enjoy. And, uh, you know, I don't think I'll ever work for a large company again. Amen to that brother. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, that's enough we're, of that. It's a great company, though. If I if I were going to work for a large company, it would be Microsoft. Well, you you got that right. I I couldn't agree more. If that's yes. what you like, that's the best one to work for. Mm-hmm. Spoken like a person who's worked for not very many large companies, but I'm I mean I know about the <laughs> benefits and I know about how they treat their employees and it's good stuff. But it's yeah, funny, you know, the pre-conversation was very much three guys who are used to running their own shops and how we keep our companies lean and agile and move with the market changes over time. That's right. Yeah, something that I think big organizations have a much tougher time doing. Well, and also when you work for a big organization, you don't concern yourself with that stuff. And that's the fun stuff to me, I think. 
I I tend to agree. I like being able to turn on a dime. Yeah. Yeah, me too. Me too. Uh, you know, I like having control of my own destiny to some degree, and you kind of lose that when you get pulled into a big mothership. Right. Yeah, if the layoff notices go out, there's really not much you can do about it. Speaking yep. of big motherships, let's talk about BizTalk. <laughs> hey, that's a big mothership, that's for sure. It's <laughs> a big mother, anyway. You've uh, yeah. done a lot of work with BizTalk and WCF of late. Two great tastes that taste great together. Uh, that they do. Yeah, BizTalk's a wonderful, uh, wonderful thing, although it hasn't always been that way. You know, I had, I've had kind of an interesting... Uh, relationship with BizTalk as a product over the years because, you know, I've been an XML guy um, for a lot of my career. I was, right. you know, just deep into the XML stuff, just loved XML, wrote several books on it and did all the shows and did a lot of consulting on that kind of stuff. And, and you know, when BizTalk 2000 first came out, I thought, wow, finally a product that actually tries to make XML easy for people to use, you know, and actually solve integration problems. Hmm. And uh, after I spent like two weeks trying to just get the dang thing installed, um, I, it really lost its uh, its shininess, you know, hmm. and, uh, and appeal. And so I kind of walked away from it. And just uh, thought, you know, I'm just, it's just not ready for me to look at. And I had a really hard time convincing other people to look at it, too. We talked a little bit about it in some of our courses back then, but it, just, it was just really an uphill battle. So I didn't do much with BizTalk 2000 because, because of all that. And uh, it wasn't until 2004, so we went through two releases. There was 2000, yeah. 2002, which were both, both basically built on the same model. Then when 2004 hit, they basically rebuilt the thing from the ground up on .NET. And once that hit, there was just a huge change in ease of use, ease of installation, just getting the thing up and running. And uh, and that really caused everyone, I think, in the industry to take a second look at the product. You know, back in 2000, when this thing first came along, I looked at it, at it as an EDI interchange device. Mm-hmm. You know, that it was much more focused on integrating with those early communication libraries. To me, it seemed like a bridge between the private networking of EDI, which is Electronic Data Interchange for those who aren't into this sort of stuff. If you were going to sell stuff to General Motors, you had to use their EDI system. Like, there was just no other way to do it. Right. And in 2000 right. was really where we were in the midst of the dot-com boom, and the Internet was going to be the way we were going to interchange everything. And BizTalk seemed to offer that ability to take these private communication means and start using XML and messaging in over the Internet to, to do that, mess- the, that kind of communication. Yes, yeah, so, so definitely. The product is kind of split down the middle along two lines. There's the messaging integration piece which is what you're talking about. And then there's also kind of the higher-level orchestration workflow piece. Mm. And, and both of those pieces still existed back then, but you're right. It was definitely a lot more focused on the integration side of the story, and that's kind of how they pitched it to the world, and EDI was a big thing. And, but, uh, and the sort of workflow was an, was an also-ran. It was. Back then, we had the X-Lang piece, and you could actually, you know, right. run a, you, could, you could build a, an orchestration in Visio and compile it and run it. You know, you had all that stuff back then, but it was just, it was really wacky. Mm. Um, so it, it just didn't get a lot of playtime. But uh, the integration stuff is really what sells most companies on the product because that's where you get the biggest bang for the buck. I mean, right. that's where the goal is to make it work, right? That's, the, that's what they're paying you for. And if you can buy a product, even if it does cost 25000 per CPU, and I can make that thing work, 
you know, bridge the gap between these two different products in my company, um, it's worth every penny. Back in 2000, EDI was a hundred thousand plus per year proposal. Like BizDoc was cheap if you were playing in that arena. Oh yeah. But it quickly changed when it changed and it's suddenly, wow, this is a really expensive piece of software. Yeah, even today, um, you know, a lot of, a lot of Microsoft developers have the perception that BizTalk is this outrageously expensive product, but that's only because they've never really been involved in working with some of the traditional integration products that are out there, like your Tipco's or, or mm-hmm. WebSphere, whatever, which, which are, ext- which are much more expensive in comparison. Um, so, so BizTalk is still, um, probably the cheapest, uh, integration product uh, or solution, I should say, out there today, but it's, it's kind of got that stigma for some reason. And I, I think it's because, you know, it's targeted primarily at Microsoft guys, and a lot of Microsoft guys are, are used to working in smaller environments where they they may not have worked with uh, or had to deal with those types of uh, integration products before. Yeah, and, and it's all, and yeah, they were used to spending $3,000 a year for their MSDN Universal, and that's it. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and downloading free tools on the internet, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I mean most most uh small BizTalk deployments cost at least 100k to get everything up and running cuz you'll probably want a cluster, so you got a few CPUs there you're dealing with, you got your databases. It's not just the BizTalk piece, but also the SQL server licenses yeah, and right. Windows and all that stuff, but um you know, so it's it's a it's a it's a bit of a check to write, but like I said, um you know, I've worked with several companies who who have analyzed all the finances behind it and the only thing I've got this one customer that I'm thinking of right now who who went to BizTalk simply to get the BizTalk Mapper. You guys familiar with that? Yeah, the Mapper tool. So it makes XSLT easy, right? Right. Maps one schema to another. Exactly. You have one schema on the left, one schema on the right. You draw lines between them, and you got an XSLT. And uh, and and when you're talking about um, thousands and thousands of message schemas going back and forth across different products, and you're trying to integrate the two. Um, you know, trying to train a bunch of developers and uh, and actually just take the time to write all that XSLT code and test it and make sure it works right um, is a lot of money we're talking about just in terms of the development costs. And so, you know, a lot of companies just go to BizTalk simply to get some of those tools, those integration tools. I think it's part of the problem with BizTalk. It's not one thing. It's so That's many right. different bits and pieces. It's yet another framework before you get off the mapper thing that what always a what always never ceases to amaze me is when you get some sort of tool that's mouse eccentric you know like that with a with a drag and drop you know one uh drawing lines between one side and the other it it seems like oh that's easy and then you're still left with thousands and thousands of documents that have to be converted right i mean it's faster but i mean even the mouse becomes like an impediment at some point yeah yeah you know? definitely definitely I mean, but is there a better way i guess is the right question. right i mean and they've worked on that mapper to death to try to figure out because the other problem with that mapper is when you're dealing with huge schemas yeah uh, i don't know if you've ever seen uh, videos or people demos of people doing this but you know those black lines that get drawn between the different nodes on the on either side of the yeah of the, you know the schemas well if you've got a huge you know, it's just huge schemas where you've got, you know, thousands and thousands of elements on, on either side, and you're drawing those black lines. Pretty soon, that middle area just looks like a big black box. Right. <laughs> you know, and right. you, 
you, you, you can scroll for, you know, ages just up and down and just trying to, so when you start dealing with things like that, um, it, it's actually not all that helpful. Um, yeah. and so there, there, obviously with all tools, there's limitations and sweet right. spots, but, um, things like that have really made, um, integration easier for people w- within that suite of products. So yeah. you're right. It, it's not just one thing. It's a bunch of things. And the more it grows, the more valuable it becomes to people. And that's, that's kind of what we've been seeing out there in the industry. So where does WCF fit in? Good question. Um, WCF, uh, for the longest time, hasn't been part of, of BizTalk until just recently with BizTalk Server 2006 R2, which was just released here recently within the last, oh, geez, uh, it must have been about three, four, or five months ago. I can't remember exactly what month they, they officially released it, but it was it was this last year. And uh, it was kind of just an add-on release to BizTalk Server 2006. So it didn't really change anything fundamentally in the product other than it added some new adapters, the WCF adapters, and it added some other uh, key features. They talked about R2 adding integration with WF, with Workflow Foundation. Right. And so a lot of people thought that meant that you could now run workflows in BizTalk, but that's not what happened there. It's just simply some BAM integration for workflow. And BAM is? Oh, BAM is business activity monitoring. It's one of those things that you can kind of uh, tie into your system to track data as your your system is, is operating. So it basically gives you a way to, to track all the activity of what's happening as messages flow in and out of things. And, and then you can go back and you can harvest that data to produce reports that make a lot of sense to the business analysts. Right, so the ability to instrument the data flow through this, this right, uh, right. Uh, set of libraries, really kind of a cool idea that, that sort of live view, the, the speedometer on your right. uh, your transaction flow. Ties in directly with SharePoint, uh, you know, and so you can have these portals on your on your SharePoint site that that actually you know analysts can go into and actually create their own reports that are harvesting this BAM data to see real time, you know, how the business is operating if they need to, you know, raise prices, lower prices based on you know what they're seeing there in that portal, you know. So some pretty cool stuff. And I'm sure we had a conversation with someone from Microsoft where they said that one of the reasons that Workflow Foundation came into existence was this acknowledgement that there was all these different areas inside of Microsoft, all these different products, and BizTalk was a major one that needed workflow, and we're each building their own, and why don't we make one that we use all the way across? Exactly. But that hasn't happened yet. Well, that, that hasn't happened yet, and that's, and that's <clears throat> that was the motivation for writing DubF, for right. producing DubF as a framework technology. So now everyone can have workflow capabilities, even if they're not, even if BizTalk is too much for them. Do you know the perfect formula for building and managing websites? Follow me here. Zero effort plus Sitefinity CMS equals infinity in website development. That's right. Telerik challenges you to explore its innovative Sitefinity content management system and offers you a chance to win a sleek Zune MP3 player or a Sitefinity license. These cool awards could be yours if you only answer a few easy questions about Telerik's Sitefinity CMS. All you have to do is watch five short movies and see how easy it is to build infinitely beautiful websites with zero effort. You'll learn some cool facts about Sitefinity and the effortless creation of websites. So go to www.sitefinity.com and give it a try. It's fun, it's interesting, and it can get you a free license or a free Zoom. 
You know, the whole relationship between BizTalk and Workflow has always been fascinating to me because the first time I saw it, I thought, ah, BizTalk, you know. Um, but, but Workflow doesn't have orchestration? So Workflow is an orchestration language. So it's, it's basically equivalent to the orchestration language that we currently have in BizTalk Server. But it doesn't really do orchestration, does it? No, it does. It does. But the problem is they couldn't build workflow into BizTalk right now, which is what we want, because there was just too much to ask in the amount of time they had available. So with BizTalk Server 2006 R2, all they could do was kind of plug WCF in down in the messaging layer, which was an easier proposition, because it was just a matter of writing some BizTalk adapters. There was already an integration model in place there. Right. But to replace the orchestration engine with WF, um, that's a huge undertaking, and that's actually what they're working on right now for the next major release of the product, which who knows when Maybe will Maybe 2008 or 2009. Right, right. Somewhere in there, I'm guessing. But uh, it's, uh, you know, so right now, that's, that's one confusion that a lot of people have is they think that R2, because of some of the marketing material that went out um, in the beginning, that it's got this WF integration. When they say that, all that's really happened is they added some BAM capabilities to workflow. So, you know, usually BAM's only done over here in BizTalk, but now they've made it possible to do BAM inside of DubF and also inside of DubCF, even if you're not using that code inside of BizTalk. Does that make sense? So now all the tracking and, and uh, analytics can, you know, you can basically branch out further from BizTalk to track what's happening throughout your system by, by building that into DubF and DubCF directly. But long-term, Workflow will be the orchestration engine inside of BizTalk. At least that's what, what I perceive is going to happen. And i got to imagine that there's, a, there's two whammies here. I mean, one is the Workflow Foundation is new, and so they're probably still racing to get the feature set mature enough to do what BizTalk is doing, while BizTalk continues to go further down the path with more and more sophisticated orchestrations. Like, it's an interesting race to get those two things together. They would have loved to get workflow, I think, into into BizTalk right now, but it was just, there's so many, I mean, that it's just so tightly intertwined with yeah. the way BizTalk works that it's just not a trivial task at all. I mean, it's a major development effort. So, I mean, here, here's the thing, Carl, just to, just to make this clear on the workflow side of things. Right okay. now, if you use workflow, you, you basically have a real easy runtime you can plug into, into into any app. It could be a console app, a Windows service, an mm-hmm. ASP.NET website, whatever. Mm-hmm. You can use workflow there to run simple workflows, which are like BizTalk orchestrations. They're, they're conceptually the same type of thing. Um, the problem with workflow today is that there's no host product, no server product for hosting your workflows in a scalable, robust, enterprise way. Right. Right. So, so what people, people today that want to take advantage of workflow have really have to go out and write their own hosting infrastructure, which is, which is also a big development effort. So right now we're kind of in this interesting place where we've got this cool, uh, lightweight workflow runtime. And we, we also over here have this cool enterprise integration product called BizTalk, but we can't use the two of them together yet. And those are really the two that are meant to go together. The only uh, the only hosting product that Microsoft ships right now really is SharePoint. You know, within SharePoint, you can do some workflow integration and host workflows within SharePoint. But there are some things that SharePoint workflow doesn't compatibility-wise work with workflow. 
Right. It's not considered a generic host. It's really considered what they've done is just kind of provided uh, uh, basically a SharePoint-y um, implementation yeah. of, of workflow there. Right. And so you're doing things that only really make sense in workflow. What we need is a general purpose workflow host. Yeah. Right. That people can just buy. They don't have to build it. Right. Right. And it's scalable. It's robust. And, you know, all that stuff that you want from a nice server product. And, and that's what BizTalk is meant to be. Yeah. It's just they haven't been able to do it yet, so we're kind of stuck right now. You know, hmm. maybe I'm a heathen for saying this, and maybe it's a side, and it's a sidetrack, I admit. But how much longer can Microsoft charge for BizTalk? Well, that's a that's a really uh, interesting question because I would think that they're going to have to do a little refactoring of their suite here, right? As they bring workflow into it. And, you know, you also have WCF, which is a big part of it. That's the other yes. thing I think we're going to talk about here is, is how WCF now actually becomes the communication infrastructure for BizTalk. Right. So if, I, if I'm using the free workflow library for orchestration and the free communications foundation for uh, connections, what am I paying for? Right, exactly. Mm. And so the things that you'll most likely be paying for, in my opinion, are things like the um, uh, the communication and application adapters. So if I want to talk to, you know, some funky system over there using some proprietary protocol and there's a BizTalk adapter for it, that's that's what I would pay for. Or if I want to talk to the SAP system or if I want to do HL, HL7, you know, integration. These are all things that um, will really speed up your development if you can just buy those things. And those right. are things and, that... And, you know, but the problem is now we're buying adapters. Mm-hmm. And the last time I was buying adapters, I was buying ODBC libraries. Right. And nobody <laughs> likes doing that. Yeah. So, I mean, again, uh. I think what they'll do as a strategic product positioning thing is they'll package all this stuff up together right into a, a license so it's not perceived like you're buying all these individual things. But right. to really accomplish your integration goals, you're going to need all those all those things. Well, and the other tools like the the schema mapper. Right, right. Who, who knows how that will all be factored, but I'm guessing there will probably be some type of lighter weight version of BizTalk. This is what I've always hoped for, right, that there would be some lightweight version that any developer could use for free. You know, and it, you just don't get all the fancy, schmancy, you know, enterprise level stuff that that uh, you might need. Yeah, we need a BizTalk um, Express, just like a SQL exactly, Express. Exactly. Give us a free entry point, and then when we're addicted, you know, the first hit's free. Exactly. Call it Biz Whisper. <laughs> if they did that, you know how much how much their adoption would increase? Because absolutely, it would explode. I mean, the, the, in fact, when they were doing BizTalk Server 2006, the thing that uh, the goal of the team was, the way they described it, was to produce the uh, the SQL Server install, the next, next, next install is, is what they called it, right? right? You hit next like four or five times, and it's installed. Right. You know, there's nothing that can go wrong. You know, and, that, and they, they did that pretty much with BizTalk Server 2006. I mean, it's really easy to get installed now, and that's really what they need to do. They need to make it easy for developers to play with it. Because uh, until they do that, it's always this thing that's kind of sitting out there and that everyone perceives as this ugly, nasty thing that they don't want to touch, you know. And um, That wave really hasn't come all the way around yet uh, like it should. But I, I've seen a lot, of, a lot of changing opinions over the last uh, couple of years, for sure. Yeah, I, I could see it coming. And it's not to say you shouldn't jump in now because I know they'll take care of the customers that are buying it. Because mm-hmm. that'll obviously be the enterprise class product, 
But this thing's definitely coming. I think it makes a lot of sense to create. This should be how we're building any apps that require any form of orchestration and, exactly. and interlevel communication. You guys have heard of all the Oslo stuff, right? Yeah. I'm not so sure our listeners have. Okay. So Oslo is the new code name for, for the, uh, basically what the connected systems division within Microsoft is up to you know, these right. days and, and what they're working on for the next five years. And essentially, it's, it's, it's the future of all this stuff we've been talking about. Right. So when you think about, you know, you, if you just go out there and, and uh, Windows Live uh, Oslo or, or whatever and, uh, and find some of the, the documents they put out there so far, you'll, you'll see it's all about kind of how to position BizTalk and, and Workflow and WCF and bring all these things together into one coherent development solution uh, for the years ahead. And, and so there, you know, there, there's a there's a just a ton of people up there in Redmond working on this problem, you know, and really trying to pr- produce something that's going to make a ton of sense for the future. And in all those discussions, I've been involved in all those SDRs and, and early meetings. They have. It's clear to me that there is a strong commitment to making sure they don't screw their 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 current or new BizTalk customers. Right. Right. So if you do move to BizTalk today. There should be a good migration path moving forward once all that stuff hits, but but we're a ways out from that anyway. Yeah, it's the new it's the new versions of everything, and I find it very interesting that they've incorporated into that uh, the IT level tools like System Center and so forth. So yeah, exactly. I mean, you're and naturally going to get the instrumentation to manage these things as well. I think that's the big thing that most people get flustered about around BizTalk, and it's one of the reasons that the pricing works the way it does and so forth is this is enterprise class stuff. Operating it is at least as important as building it. Yeah, huge emphasis on that. And I don't know if you guys caught this in some of that in some of that material, but BizTalk is kind of the 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 uh, the label that they're going to hang a lot of this stuff off of. Wow. So you're going to see BizTalk taking more of a center stage, I think, in the in the Oslo timeframe because it's a cool name. I, mean, I love the name BizTalk. You know. BizTalk's just a cool uh, marketing name. So I think uh, you're going to see that kind of stick. And hopefully the, the perception around BizTalk server as a product uh, will change, you know, as they as they uh, produce better tools and all these things. I mean, some of the stuff they're working on is just amazing. It really is. They're, they're doing some really cool stuff for, for uh, you know, simplifying how you do enterprise integration and, and these types of enterprise solutions that we've been talking about but but it still it feels to me like we're still probably two or three years out before um you're going to see kind of something that's actually going to be really useful and and this goes tearing off into that whole idea of the internet service bus the biz talk services and so on exactly yeah you guys just did a show on the isb with christian didn't you I saw uh, that on that's your coming up christian, oh, is it coming up? the christian wires yep. show uh comes out uh, a couple of weeks after this one Oh, okay. So, uh, yeah, you, cool. you, you're you along first. We've got Christian on the schedule as well to talk about ISB. And uh, and I think the two are going to relate together well. But we get to focus on the biz talk side of things here so that uh, it'll help everyone grasp where we're going with ISB as well. Yeah, yeah, because that's the same type of thing. It's basically just taking some of these key concepts and putting them up there out there on the Internet, you know. So, I mean, it's all intertwined, this, yeah. this whole thing. It's, it's, pay attention to that ISB stuff. That's going to be huge, I think. I think it's going to yeah. be really big. Right, right. We were yeah. going to go to the WCF side of things and how this Absolutely. really changed, has changed, I think has changed BizTalk. Like, I was almost disgruntled to see it called 2006 R2 
when you know instead of 2007 like it didn't get enough love to have its own version (laughs) yeah yeah i know i know so you know do you want to just kind of give you the brief rundown of what they did there with dub yeah absolutely so you know if you write a dub cf service today you've got to basically write the host right right you've got it you've got to cruft up a service host object and say i'm gonna i'm gonna host this type my math service and you know then you expose some endpoints on it and then you can actually start calling it you know from from consumers well what they've done in biztalk is they basically provided the ability um to host you know uh wcf services uh through the port model so i don't know how much you guys have done with biztalk but when you want to set up an endpoint where you can receive documents from someone else mm-hmm. You just go into this tool. It's called the BizTalk Admin Console. And you just say, I want to create a new port. It's a receive port where people can send me messages. And then those messages can be pretty much anything you want them to be. And, uh, and, and that's where the adapters start to come in. That's where you say, well, and I want to receive it over FTP, or I want to receive it over HTTP, right. and so on and so forth. And so we have this whole slew of different adapters that we can use to bring stuff in to BizTalk. So, yeah, and, and SOAP was one of the early guys. Of course, EDI, if you're still working in that level. Exactly. And, and so, web yeah, services SOAP and so on. And WYSI have been around since 2004 right? As, as adapters. So by using those two adapters, we can then bring web service requests into BizTalk to kick off orchestrations. And then, and of course, on the send side, there's the equivalent thing to send things back out. So with R2, what they did is they built in the ability to, to now – crust up WCF services on the fly using that tool. So essentially, if you want to set up a WCF receive location, you just go into that tool and you say, I want to create a new receive port here that's going to receive WCF service requests. And with a few clicks of the mouse, you've now got a service that's hosted within BizTalk server. It's nice. up and running. You don't have to write a single line of code. And now WCF clients out there can walk up to you and, uh, you know, re- request metadata if you're going to provide metadata so they can generate their proxies. And then they can just use their own web services clients over there to push messages <clears throat> through your WCF receive port into BizTalk. And before you had to write that plumbing code by hand, right? Exactly. And then on the send side, you can do the same thing. So on the send side, you can say, you know, whenever a message comes into the BizTalk message box that looks like this, I want to send that message out to a service endpoint, you know, using WCF with this particular configuration. And again, it's just a few clicks of the mouse. You use the wizards. And now you've written a WCF client without writing a single line of code. So it's essentially bringing WCF into the BizTalk model and making it easy for the masses to use it. And uh, what they've done is they've actually, you know, if you think about it, at like, you know, WCF is just a single thing, right? So we should probably just have a single adapter for it. Um, that's kind of what I expected when I when I, when I saw the first version of this come out, and I was surprised to find that they actually shipped like six or seven adapters. Wow! They shipped hmm. one for each of the built-in WCF bindings. So okay, yeah, for- and I was just thinking the problem the thing with Challenge with WCF is it's so configurable. Exactly, it could completely change itself into something else. Right. Exactly. So instead of like just giving you this one thing that you would have to really know how to configure, they said, we'll give you one adapter in BizTalk for each of the different built-in bindings in, in WCF. Well, that was and smart. just make those really easy to use. Yeah, that was smart. So you don't have to be a WCF expert. Exactly. So there's one called WCF Basic HTTP. There's one called WCF WS HTTP and one that's called WCF Net TCP and so on and so forth. So there's there's like five or six of those for the built-in bindings. And then there's the 
the only one you really need, which is called WCF Custom. And right. that's the one that you can basically turn all the knobs and bells and whistles that you want to configure it exactly how if, you want it to if be If you're into configuring WCF yourself. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so I love that one, actually. But uh, there's also another one called uh, WCF Custom Isolated. There's two custom ones that you can use, whether you're hosting in proc or out of proc. and um, it, It's very extensible. But they've really tried to make it easy for the masses. So they've tried to position all of those different built-in adapters for the right usage. Yeah. You know, it's like if you're trying to do basic web services, WSI basic profile compliance, use this one. If you're trying to use the advanced WSR protocols, use this, this other one, you know, and, and so on and so forth. So, but I got to think that the real goal here is I don't want to have to change the app that uses WCF to have it work with BizTalk. Whatever you're currently putting out, I should be able to consume. Exactly. Um, it, if, if, it, if it's not consumable with one of the built-in adapters, then you turn to WCF Custom through which you have full control. And in fact, if you need to use even some custom extensibility point, like a, uh, a WCF behavior or a new messaging component that, that does some, some message munging on the way in or out, you can do that through WCF Custom. So there's full capabilities there to customize things to fit your, your, your precise communication needs. Hmm. So you can even do things like uh, we, we uh, one of my colleagues and I were playing around with doing some REST stuff with this talk, and I mean basically all the new WCF three five stuff should be possible. Um, uh, although that we found a few hiccups and some of that, but you know it, in general in it should just all work. If if you've got a way to get you know to get me a message, I should be able to process it. Hmm. So that's the in general what they did with R two with with WCF. Are there any warts that we haven't talked about with uh, WCF? Uh, oh, yeah, sure. There's there's tons of warts. Um, but, uh, you know, one of the things that's... that's <sighs> okay, so actually this goes back to one of the questions that you just asked that I probably oversimplified a bit. But you said, is, can I consume anything that's out there? Um, here, this is one of the warts, for example. BizTalk, as a messaging product, is, uh, is really built to be a transactionally consistent database. Right. Right. So messages come in and we can guarantee that if we process that thing through our adapter, it's going to be persistent in our database. Even if the machine goes down, we'll, we'll still be able to come back up and pick up where we left off. And so because of the way the message box works internally, um, BizTalk cannot work with one-way WCF operations. So in general, it's not a problem if you're inside of BizTalk and you're you're crafting up new receive locations or or you're you're uh, you know just creating new services within it. But if you're trying to consume existing services that are out there in the world um, and they have one-way operations on them, then that does become a problem. And there's really no way around that right now. Um, so I kind of take take what I said back a little bit a few minutes ago. I mean, yeah. it doesn't work with with everything. But uh, that's more of a behavioral issue than, than kind of a messaging integration issue. It's because BizTalk as a product needs to get that response back, right. even if it's just an act to say, yeah, they got it. Well, you know, that's just all about transactional integrity. I can't exactly. finish this transaction until I know things have been delivered. Yeah, so it's, it's more of a uh, kind of an architectural decision they made than, than hmm. something that they But that really impairs do. the whole concept of the queuing model, too. Mm-hmm. Because, I mean, the whole thing about queuing was send this off, it's gone, I, I, I'll i get my response back in some other way. 
So with MSMQ, they know that they can get those guarantees. So with the net MSMQ binding, right. uh, that's the one place where you can use one-way operations. Oh, look at that. So it, it confuses the heck out of people because they say, oh, this works with this one, but it doesn't work with that one. And um, So the only exception to that rule is the net MSMQ binding. If you're using right. HTTP or TCP or anything else, then you, it has to be a two-way operation that you're talking to. So uh, and so now I'm thinking because there is isn't there a connection between WCF and and queuing as well? So I'm just thinking that that would be the way I would proxy that. If I really did have a WCF connection that was trying to be one way, I just yeah. pass it through the queuing uh, adapter. Yeah, there's this net name pipe binding that you right. use in WCF, or not net name pipe, but net MSMQ. Yeah, and that uh, that's the one that you would use when you want to do queuing via WCF. And but hmm. but and in that case, if you're using uh, you're using uh, the the NetMSMQ uh, binding in WCF. That in WCF, if you're doing that, it requires one-way operations. So when you're using MSMQ in WCF, you have to annotate your contracts with one way. Yeah, that's just that's the way it works. That's the way it works. And so then when you come back to BizTalk, they had to make that work. And so they know that they're going to be able to guarantee the tra- the transactional consistency in that case because of the MSMQ infrastructure. Um, and so they uh, just punt and say, "We'll let that work." But anything else, they, uh, you know, you're not guaranteed to get uh, um, accurate results. And it doesn't actually throw errors in some cases either. It just uh, doesn't work right. So it's kind of one of the, that's one of the big words that I always talk about whenever I teach people, developers, about uh, about R2 for the first time is to watch out for that one. Um, the other thing is when you expose services. In, uh, in, in, in BizTalk, um, yeah. there's no notion of a contract, right? So if I walk up and go through that wizard and say, I want to create this new WCF receive location to receive messages, it doesn't know what the contract should look like because that's not the way BizTalk works internally, right? When you say, I'm going to create a new file receive port, you can drop any file you want into that thing. It doesn't care what the file looks like. So the same thing applies here. When I say I'm going to create a new WCF receive location, it doesn't know what the message should look like that's coming in. So then the problem is when you, if, if you want your clients to be able to walk up to that thing and, and retrieve metadata that, can then, that they can use to produce a client-side proxy, the, the metadata just says, uh, you can send me anything. <laughs> you know, so, right. So it's not really that helpful. So they, they've got this separate wizard that you can use to kind of walk through a, a, kind of a, an out-of-band process to say, here are the types of messages that we want to receive. Um, and then, you know, you can expose that out to people via WSDL. But it's just one of those things that doesn't make a lot of sense to developers when they first sit down and start using it because it's not like traditional WCF. Yeah, it's, a, it's just a, a little bit different. But you're right. They, you, that's what WSDL was for, was to give us a separate way to say, oh, tell me what the contracts look like, even though, it, even though I'm not, I don't, if I send anything, you're going to accept it. Whether you do anything with it is another question entirely. Right, exactly. Yeah, so, I mean, you could have five different WSDLs that all describe different types of things that you want to bring into that one receive port, and that would work just fine in this case, you know? So right. it's kind of, it's, it's actually really flexible from that perspective, but... Well, and, just, and again, from an IT perspective, port conservation is important. I'd like you to open as few endpoints as possible. If you had to have a separate one for each method, I'd be unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things that's, that's really nice about BizTalk is, is the way that port model works. I mean, it's very much a publish-subscribe metaphor where you could just have one port if you were going to receive every – it's really – the ports are really dependent on how many different types of transports you need to use. Right. I, right, but, but if, I'm, if I'm using FTP primarily, I could just have one port, 
right? And then the content of the message as they come in determines which workflow to kick off or which orchestration in this case to to run. So there's got to be some kind of identification mechanism on the BizTalk side that says, all right, we've received something through FTP. Who's going to work on this? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Then these are all called message properties. So when a message comes in, it they create this big context that's associated with the message that tells it, you know, where it came in from, what adapter was used, you know, details about the message. The message has a unique ID associated with it. You can actually promote properties from within the message, like pieces of data that are found in the message up into that context as well, so that then you can build filters or what are called uh, subscriptions, right, based on all that data. So you could say anytime a message comes in over FTP from this particular application um, and it contains X, Y, and Z, then run this thing over here. And if it contains A, B, and C instead, run this other thing over here. So this whole idea of content-based, you know, routing and uh, stuff like that really comes into play a lot. And it's it's very flexible because... You, you know, you can bring on new 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 uh, consumers and providers independently of one another without any impact. Yeah, you know, it's funny because we there's a whole line of products out there in the world in the in the network IT space for doing stuff like content rounding and so forth. Mm-hmm. And this is so much the programmer solution to that. Get it to me, I'll figure out where to ship it. Exactly. So skip the hardware level routing and so on. Just get it here, and then exactly. we'll we'll route it from there. So BizTalk is really considered more of a hub-and-spoke model um, right. than an ESB because of this, um, although there are people who think BizTalk is also an ESB if you use it right. So, I mean, but, but the idea is you bring things into this central node, and then that thing figures out what to do. And if it, the benefit of that type of model is um, it, that central node has to know how to do everything. Yes. But then the other nodes, the spokes, you know, they only have to know how to do their one thing. Yeah. You know, and that's that's a very compelling thing. Um, so as far as WCF, how it fits into this picture, it doesn't really change anything internally within BizTalk, like how it works um, at, fr- from the architectural perspective. It's it's simply about how you get information in and out at the edges. It's a new new set of adapters. That's all it is. Right. Yeah. Hey, I just want to give a shout out real quick to our friends at Data Dynamics who uh, make ActiveReports.net, among other really awesome things. ActiveReports.net is great because uh, it allows you to just build your reports with an easy editor, embed them right in your application, provide PDF and HTML output, give your end users a report editor, royalty-free, of course, a great access report upsizing wizard, and all this for a price that isn't going to break the bank. ActiveReports.net from Data Dynamics. Go check it out now at datadynamics.com. Hey, you know, this all this conversation makes me realize how much I miss talking about writing code. <laughs> <laughs> where, yes. I, where we there spend most of our time code. talking about business processes. <laughs> really, this is the oh, digital manifestation man. of, you know, the purchase order. I'm sitting over here going, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> <laughs> there is a lot of code you can't write in BizTalk, but you just have to look for those opportunities a little bit more. Yeah. Oh. Spot yeah. the programmer in the crowd. It's, uh, it's... <laughs> this is so whiteboardy. You know, the, my, my, so much of my life as a consultant was filling whiteboards with workflow. Well, I just wanted mm-hmm. to share that with the listeners in case their eyes were falling back in the in their heads. <laughs> You know, it's it's interesting. Um, as far as a, if, if some of the listeners are consultants um, in the Microsoft space, trying to you know position themselves for the future, um, this is definitely one of those areas where there's a huge need 
for consultants. Absolutely. Um, because it's just a it's a product that that's so complicated and there's so many little pieces and and no one really knows how it all fits together and so if you can invest some time and really get your head around this thing um you 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 really add some value uh you know to yourself in terms of consulting um uh, this talk guys I know are just c- constantly busy um, yeah, it's just, just, it's a, it's an amazing area of growth here. To me, it seems like BizTalk's all well and fine for the initial solve, but where it's really going to shine is as new processes come on board. Exactly. You know, they, they, maybe you could talk a bit about the ability to add additional work into a BizTalk server, how, you know, the, the difference between what would take to engineer a new application around it. Yeah, sure. I mean, so, I mean, if you're, if you're bringing on, say, just a new, a new, uh, a consumer that needs to be, say, a new supplier that needs to be sending you information, for example, um, the, the the prospect of doing that is really, really simple because all you really need to do is define a new port that works for them. You know, so there's some there's some stuff that has to be worked out ahead of time as to you know how they're going to be sending that that information, what their capabilities are, what you're willing to do on your side. Right. But the nice thing about this talk is that it, it is that it allows you to hold on a second. Yeah, you guys get in that? Yes, that is an 850 megahertz cell phone synchronization set. Yes. Uh, probably from a BlackBerry or a quad band GSM phone. <laughs> it could be mine. I'm not sure. Mine didn't ring over here. That was weird. Yeah, it, it's actually a sync send. That was a, I, I actually could tell you the difference between a ring call and a sync. <laughs> wow. Because I've listened to them that much. <laughs> so that was a sync. It would not make the phone ring. Uh, so we were talking about, you know, bringing on a new, a new process, a, a new process. Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to bring on a new, a new process within BizTalk, um, there'd be some upfront work you'd have to do with the, with the partner that you were trying to, to, to receive that information from to figure out what they, you know, what their capabilities are, how they want to send you that message, what you're willing to do on your side. So there's some kind of, you know, business negotiation that happens there. And then once you figure out what you need to do, um, essentially, it's just a matter of creating a new port that is capable of receiving those messages. A lot of that's just done right through wizards, could be done in, in minutes, literally minutes. Now, if there's some integration work that needs to happen, say, for example, this is Walmart, they're not going to be willing to change much on their end for you, uh, most likely. And so, yeah, you, no. you know, you may have to then say, well, okay, you just send me whatever you want, okay? And, and I, I, I want your business enough that I'll make it work on my end. At that point, that's where you have to start dealing with transformations and, and perhaps pipeline components. A pipeline component is a thing that, that can process the message as it's coming through to do any kind of message level, um, you know, transformations or massaging that you, that you need to do before it kind of spits into the BizTalk uh, message box. And, uh, and that's where you have an opportunity to write some code. So if you want to write some code, that's, you write what's called a pipeline component. And it's basically just like a preprocessor, right, that gives you a chance to do whatever kind of, you know, message processing needs to occur. After it comes out of that pipeline, then you can send it through maps, and that's where those, the BizTalk mapper comes in. So if you've written a map to, say, take you know, message A and translate it into message B, because that's what your orchestration depends on, that's where that happens. And then once it hits that message box, it's the subscription that kicks off that business process. So the, the question, it's kind of a complicated question, because it really depends on you know, what's already in place and, and, and how similar this new thing you're bringing on is to the existing stuff that's in there. But essentially, the pieces you would write within BizTalk are pipelines, 
maps, and then the orchestration. So if it was a brand new business process, your job would be primarily looking at how to implement that business process using the, the BizTalk orchestration designer and, and, and all the things you need to do there, um, and then how to get the message into the right format before it hits that orchestration. The beauty is, though, I could support five different partners, each of, each of whom is sending me very, very different messages using different protocols, different techniques, and they can all tie into the same business process the same orchestration. And and for the consultant, this is where the money is. The guy who can broker the deal, essentially, who's going to do what to get those messages passing back and forth, it's as much a study in psychology as it is technology. It is, yeah. You know, it's kind of easy. If you're going to deal with a, with a Walmart, you're going to be delivered a four-inch thick manual that tells you precisely how you're going to send messages to Walmart. Mm, exactly. Right? They're not going to do anything for you. They've already <laughs> decided what you're going to be doing for them. Right. Exactly. But it's way more interesting when you're talking about smaller companies operating on different platforms. They all have access to the internet or an EDI process. They all can create some kind of message. Maybe it's XML. You know, maybe it's a web service call, but they've all got their own flavors to that. And you've got to try and find a meeting point on those things. And that's exactly where BizTalk comes into the picture. And, you know, like I said, if, uh, if developers are looking for a way to distinguish themselves, this is one area because, um, there definitely isn't much, uh, it just doesn't seem like the demand is keeping up with the supply in this area. For sure. To me. Well, I think companies are starting to appreciate the idea. If you control the message broker, you control the world. <laughs> you know, it's in your best interest to be the guy who can consume everybody else's message. Mm-hmm. Because then no matter what, who else comes along, you can make those things happen. There's all kinds of proxy work that comes from that. I worked in the, on the healthcare side with HL7, which is a, the greatest non-standard standard I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> they say it's XML, but it's really, it's a variation on SGML, the whole standard markup language. Mm-hmm. That's specific for healthcare. And it's every hospital had their own flavor. It was unbelievably messy. Well, an EDI was the same way. I mean, it, it, sure. from my experience, there were never two EDI implementations that would just work together out of the box. Yeah. Right. It always required a high degree of customization and integration to, even though it was supposed to do that for you, right? It's just, it, and the bottom line is this stuff is complicated. I mean, integration, doing, you know, electronic commerce and, and really making things fully automated is, is not an easy process. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong and a lot of different ways of doing things throughout the world. And, and, uh, and, and so it's hard. You know, integration is probably one of the hardest aspects of, of any enterprise. Here's a question for you, Aaron. So with service oriented architecture, the approach is to have these little islands of, uh, you know, these little atomic islands that, that are all specialized and everything and separate. And BizTalk seems to be like a hub, you know, where lots of things come together. How, how does this work? How does BizTalk fit into the SOA picture? So you can kind of think of BizTalk kind of like, um, you know, the director of an orchestra, right? He's the guy. You've got all these, these specialists out there in, in the orchestra that know how to play their instrument and, uh, and are really good at it, really good at doing that one thing. And, uh, and then you have this guy who stands up in the front who says, you guys play right now. And then he turns over to these guys and says, now you guys play. And, and he's, he's orchestrating, you know, each of their individual talents into a greater whole, which produces beautiful music. And, and that's kind of the way I see BizTalk 
fitting into the whole SOA world. Um, if you build services and really really try to adopt the SOA principles as you build all of these services that are going to exist throughout the enterprise, BizTalk then can tie into all those things and make them do something wonderful, right, and bring them together to solve real problems. And fully capable of working with all the, you know, the web services standards now that we have the WCF support. That was the big thing that was missing to date. But now that the WCF integration is there, Basically, it can talk to anything that's web services compliant, uh, from basic web services to advanced web services. So it isn't that BizTalk is going to be one of the players in an SOA. That You know, when I think of an SOA, I don't think of there being a central player. But but I suppose that, uh, that you know, that that's exactly what BizTalk is good at. It is. And so y- you raise a really interesting question because when you then start to write orchestrations in BizTalk, and what you're doing there is you're basically composing services, right? You're, you're, if your orchestration is basically calling out to these other services right. out there on your network and providing a higher-level business process, now what you've done is you've essentially written a higher-level service, a what, what you might call a business process service. And that itself can also be exposed to the outside world through a WCF adapter as yet another service. And so... So, so yes, BizTalk is still going to be in the business, most likely, of of building services, but they're not typically the 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 more atomic services, you know, the the data access services. So, I mean, the terminology is one of the tough things when you talk about SOA stuff because everyone wants to call these things something different. But you know, a lot of developers will use WCF standalone to write kind of the more data accessy, you know, services that that. When I think about what separates a service-oriented architecture from something else is that there isn't a main script sort of saying, calling out to these routines and waiting for a response and then going to the next step, that that it's sort of just more amorphous than that and that every everything that lands on, a, on the doorstep of a service is completely self-contained with where what the inputs are, what to do and where, where the history and the outputs and all of that, and that there isn't this sort of synchronous process. But, but at some thing. point, there has to be some composition to solve business problems, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, so I think what you're getting at is the real services that you care about and that most businesses probably care about are these business process services where you walk up and say, I want to submit an expense report and get a check back. Sure. Right. There should just be a service sitting out there that I can send a message into. And then it takes care of all that mess. And then at some point I get a check in the mail. Right. You know, and uh and, and that's that's kind of what I'm talking about here. BizTalk would actually give you the capabilities to to orchestrate that type of service. Because there's a lot of communication that has to go on in in that process of of producing that check. Right? There's communication between, you know, the app itself, the process that's running, and the accounting department, and the manager who needs to approve it. And we have to wait for things to come back. And all that stuff is really complicated to write in code. If you were going to try to write that kind of stuff in code where you're waiting for messages to come back before you can continue, that's really where it becomes difficult. And so that, that's the kind of value add that BizTalk has as a service development environment. It's more of, but, it, but I, I always see it more at the business process level. Right, so the things you write in BizTalk map to the business processes you're trying to solve, and they may take advantage of some of the lower level WCF services that that tend to focus on more atomic tasks. 
I so I, I think what you're you're highlighting here is that the the principle of autonomy in SOA mm. yeah. is is really you know negotiable, right? There's different levels of autonomy that we can talk about, and becoming fully autonomous isn't probably 100% achievable in any SOA, you know. And and so um, you're, there's always going to be some level of composition. There's going to be um, you know, if you if you went to the full extreme of of 100% autonomy, you could never do request response. You know, it would all be one way messaging, and right. uh, it's it's so you know people no one's going to do that because it's just too complicated. Well, I see I see it differently though. I guess when when you say request response, you you make a request, and in that request is where to put the response, and the response comes in as another request back to sure. whoever it was. So Yeah, that's the way you would do it. But that's the asynchronous way, right? I mean, and that's that's not – if you have to wait for that response before you can continue, which is what you're saying, uh, that's that's where BizTalk really shines is when, when you know, steps have to happen in a process mm-hmm, and you exactly. have to go through this whole process in order. Yep. Right? Yeah, so I mean, all I'm saying is, um, you know, th- there there is value in in composition um, of services, and that's that's uh, really kind of the where BizTalk fits into the picture yep. on the SOA side. And so, not only are you consuming services with BizTalk, you're also exposing services with BizTalk. Sure, it, it allows you to do both, and that's the same thing with workflow too. I mean, workflow is all about dealing with that precise problem of having to wait for things to happen. Just before we run out of time here, tell us a little bit about Pluralsight. So Pluralsight, uh, you know, our company, training company, we do uh, .NET developer training courses uh, all, all over the map on different topics. Of course, we do WCF and BizTalk and Workflow, all these things that we've been talking about. So uh, it's, it's a company that's been around now for about uh, four years, going on, going on uh, let's see, 2003. So we'll be going on five years in 2008. And you got some good names working for you. Yeah, a lot of really bright, uh, brilliant guys. Um, got folks like John Flanders in the BizTalk space and Workflow and Matt Milner, who's also in this space with us. And um, a lot of other guys who people have probably heard of, like Keith Brown and Security and Fritz Onion on ASP.net. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm going to miss someone and they're going to be mad at me, but, um, <laughs> you know, Ian Griffiths and WPF, he's just a genius. And we just got a lot of scary, smart guys that work with us, and we just feel lucky to to be associated with them. And one of the things I love about our lifestyle, you know, going back to what we were talking about in the beginning is that, you know, I, I, you know, their smarts rub off on me. I I benefit from uh, all these smart guys that are around me that I get to work with. Without a doubt. Absolutely. Okay. I got to pull one more thing out, which is your use of the word cruft. (laughs) Cruft. I'm sure people heard it. Is that a Canadian show? And I jumped on it because it's one of those great entomological you know, it's a it's a computer geek word, but I thought it really had a negative connotation. Huh. You know, the cruft was really about, you know, poor quality code. I don't know if you know that the story. This is one of those classic trivia bits, and I don't know that it's actually true for the story. There's a laboratory in Harvard called the Cruft Lab, which was one of the original researchers into radar, like going back to World War II. And during that time, they were advancing equipment so quickly that literally as they build something and test it, they'd come up with a better idea. So they'd rip it out and they'd stack it, you know, sort of in the hallway and then they'd build something else. And so bit by bit, Cruft Hall at, at Harvard came to be synonymous with piles of useless equipment. Whoa. <laughs> right. Because it was just so much of it. And so that that sort of got cast onto software as, you know, the cruft is the software that's sort of left over. 
Hmm. It has a layer of goo on it because it's been tinkered with so much. Interesting. I think I think that's one of those words that I just picked up from from uh, other people that I teach with. Probably Don Box, to be precise. I, I think <laughs> I think it may have been from him. But uh, but yeah, there probably is a slight negative connotation to that word because it's uh, you know just doing something really quickly uh, on the fly is you know just get it up and running as fast as you can. Which I think is you know when you think about that story about them developing radar during World War II, you could see that you know they, yeah was, yeah. It, it naturally produced a lot of cruft. One word I picked up from Don Box, which I use all the time, is to discuss to talk about plumbing is goo, yeah. and all that goo down in there. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, Don Box is his own entomology. Yeah, he's got his own uh, his own dictionary. That's for sure. Well, uh, is there anything else that uh, we haven't covered that we can cover in one minute or less? I don't think so. Uh, blog site. Uh, blog site, uh, pluralsight.com slash Aaron. That was with two A's. A-E-R-O-N. Yep. And uh, that's about it. Yeah. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. Well, it was fun for me, too. I learned a lot. Awesome. Maybe we can come back and I can come back and do this again once this whole Oslo thing uh, starts to take shape. Absolutely. Oh, without a doubt. I think Oslo is a topic all by itself, just like Internet Service Bus. There's some big new things coming down the pipe for this. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Aaron. Thanks again. And thank you, and we will see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is recorded and produced by Pwop Productions, providing professional audio, audio mastering, video, post-production, and podcasting services. Online at www.pwop.com. .NET Rocks is a production of Franklin's Net, training developers to work smarter and offering custom on-site classes in Microsoft development technology with expert developers. Online at www.franklins.net. For more .NET Rocks episodes and to subscribe to the podcast feeds, go to our website at www.dotnetrocks.com. Got transmitter bands by the FCC. Yes, I'm a, a type of